You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the episode of the Paracast I didn't want to do. I was notified last Saturday, before we're taping the show, that my good friend, in fact, I guess I consider him almost a big brother to me, Jim Mosley, had died at a Key West, Florida hospital. He was 81 years old. He had been a compelling force, sometimes a controversial force, in the UFO field since the 1950s. And his big focus in the last 30, 40 years of his life was the culture of UFOs, the people who get involved with the subject. He had a little publication called Saucer Smear. And I understand there's a final issue that he prepared before he died that we hope will be mailed. Now, I thought in putting this show together with Chris, who would be a part of it? And I realized that we can't do a show with 500 people. And I don't want to slight anybody and say, well, we didn't put you on for any reason, because there is no reason. It's just arbitrary. And the selection was made of my close personal friends who were also friends of Jim Mosley and worked with him over the years or had historical perspectives of Jim, as Jerome Clark will offer a little bit later in the show. Our other guests, of course, are Bob Zanotti. Bob, of course, had a show called Coffee Clutch, a radio show that featured Jim and me and Tim and a lot of other people. So he's known Jim for a number of years. Alan Greenfield. Yo. Yes, Alan. Welcome back. Alan was one of the founders of something called the Congress of Scientific Ufologists, later called the National UFO Conference, and they made Jim Mosley their permanent chairman. We'll have to ask him why. We have Tim Beckley, and we also have... Hi, Tim. And we also have a new voice, somebody I've known probably longer than I knew Jim Mosley. That's Geneva Hagen. She was once the co-editor of a magazine that I edited called Caveat Tour. And we were once married, by the way, in case people Actually, are wondering. you knew Jim first. You were the person who introduced us. I knew you, though, before I met Jim, I think. You were working at Jim's Magazine, I think, when we met. No, remember what happened here. This is, this is interesting, oh. folks. Oh, well. <laughs> Do you remember well, that you wrote a letter? That's uh, argument. Uh, <laughs> uh, you met through a comic book. That's all that needs to be said. Yeah. We met through a comic book. Worlds. <laughs> That's right. And she wrote me through the comic book, and we started writing to each other. At that point, I was 13 years old, and you were 11 or something like that? You were 15, and I was 12, I believe. Okay. I'll go for that. So it's around the time I met Jim. I think I knew you longer. This is why we didn't stay married, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, because we kept arguing about these things. No, that's not the reason. But in fact, it's amazing now when we consider it, the fact that after all these years, and Geneva and I split up, you know, over 35 years ago, the fact is we've remained friends. I've remained friends to her and her family, whereas... Jim Mosley was married for what, two years, was it? Something like that? Something Mosley, like I remember. Long, long enough to have a child. Just long enough it. to have a child, but also long enough to continue to be at loggerheads with his ex-wife for the next 50 years. 400 years. I think that's still ongoing. But... I think that's ongoing with his departure. Yes. I think it's important here to kind of first put a perspective, an historical perspective, as to who Jim Mosley was. As you see, the jocular manner of our discussion 
is in respect to Jim because he pretended, I don't think that was true in real life, he pretended not to take things seriously. And I think wherever he is now, he's having a big chuckle. Jerry Clark, you have been friends and not so friendly with Jim Mosley for a number of years. In historical perspective, where does Jim Mosley stand as a figure in the UFO field? Well, I don't think there's anybody who compares to him. He really kind of created a role, and if there was one word to describe him, it would be gadfly. He was more interested, I think, in the social world of UFOs than the actual UFO phenomenon itself, although he always insisted that he was genuinely interested in the latter. But he certainly didn't contribute much to our understanding of the phenomenon, but he documented the kind of subculture of characters, colorful and otherwise, who populated the UFO universe. And if you're trying to reconstruct the kind of social world of ufology, it's really helpful to go through Jim's publications going back to the early 1950s because he's chronicling the antics, serious and otherwise, of all kinds of characters, famous and forgotten. And Saucer News was really useful to me when I was trying to reconstruct that history during the 90s when I was writing the UFO Encyclopedia. That was a very interesting thing here. The fact is that even though Jim Mosley had fake feuds, even though he had hoaxes that he perpetrated, if you read the pages of Saucer News, especially in the early years, from the 1950s to the late 60s, from the time he first started the magazine as Nexus until the time he sold it to Gray Barker, there was a lot of serious writing in there. He had a very good expose, for example, of George Adamski, the contactee. Yes, I think that is the one substantive contribution that he made to actual research was really uncovering the dynamics of Adamski's hoax. I think that's something of lasting worth. Most of what he wrote was just kind of ephemeral. He was writing off the top of his head often without really thinking things through, but that wasn't Jim's way. He was just having fun. Right, but he also had decent reports of the UFO events of the day. You know, There were some good articles sure. by, by reputable writers and investigators, absolutely. Even people you wouldn't have expected to write in a flying saucer magazine, like back in the 1950s, Frank Scully wrote an article for him. I think at one time, Major Kehoe had a short article right. in Saucer News. Very unusual collection of people. Yeah, it was pretty hard to avoid Jim if you were anybody <laughs> in this field. If you tried to avoid him, he'd find you. In one way or another, you had to deal with him. Now, when we look at the things he did to kind of move things along, Jerry, like the fake feuds, like, for example, he was very, very close friends with Gray Barker, but he and Gray Barker pretended in public to hate each other. Now, Jim's excuse was, well, you know, the saucer interest is dying. We have to keep it up. That's why he had the fake feuds. I always thought that was very strange, <laughs> why you would have a fake feud and say really nasty things about each other in print that you didn't mean. When I was reading that, I was just a, a kid, you know, an adolescent. I thought, this is really strange. Why are these guys saying all these mean things about each other? Finally, when I got to know Jim fairly well, he admitted that he and Gray were very good friends. He also said in the early years that he adopted certain viewpoints to be a counterpoint to Gray Barker. So Gray Barker is the ETH believer. Therefore, Jim Mosley believes that flying saucers are made on Earth, secret weapons, as it were. I think that Gray Barker is probably the only figure in the social history of ufology that is in any way comparable to Jim Mosley. I think the two were alike in many ways and, and different from almost everybody else in the same ways. Let me ask some of the others 
in our group to respond to that. Alan, you knew Jim very well as well. What was your response to what Jerry says about his impact to the field? I think Jerry reflects the sort of nuts and bolts approach. And from that point of view, a rather humorless point of view, I would say, with no insult intended, Jim's entire life was that of a dilettante. I knew Jim very well personally, as well as in terms of ufology and other matters. He was anything but that. He was a brilliant man. He probably had an IQ in excess of 150 and was almost anachronistic uh, gentleman I'm the, right up until the end. He's also a drunk. He was also a chain smoker, but he outlived the odds. I think that something that at the time it was first said by the, the late John Keel uh, um, offended me is accurate. Uh, he referred to ufologists, a somewhat pretentious term, as um, uh, essentially a uh, UFO fandom. Um, And I think that is precisely, with most of the pretensions aside, what uh, ufology is. We are doing the PowerCast Memorial or Remembrance of Jim Mosley. With Gene and Chris, you're in the PowerCast. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hi, this is Peter Kronschnabel from Midas Resources. As you know, federal government spending is at an all-time high, and inflation will be a direct result of the spending policy. European government and central bank spending policies have put the European Union on the brink of collapse. What are you doing right now to protect yourself financially? Are your assets working for you or against you? One thing is certain. Having physical possession of gold and silver will guarantee that no matter what happens to our economy or the dollar, your investment will never be worthless. And it will protect you from that hidden tax, inflation. If you've been thinking about investing in physical possession of precious metals or having an IRA in precious metals, I can help. Call me today, Peter Kronschnabel, at 800-686-2237, extension 108. And I'll take the time to personally put together a portfolio designed to protect what you've worked so hard for. Call 800-686-2237, extension 108. You've worked hard your whole life, and I want to work hard for you. Call Peter at 800-686-2237, extension 108. If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now, thanks to Dan Pillow, you can get the tax help you need to end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pillow. 
I've helped thousands of people reduce or eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. With the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. Or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have a number of very special guests. My friends, Jim Mosley's friends, to remember him. We have Bob Zanotti. Alan Greenfield, Tim Beckley, Geneva Hagen, Jerome Clark. Alan was responding in part to what Jerry said about the historical significance of what Jim Mosley did in the UFO field. Alan, you want to pick that up? Yeah, I, let, me, let me go ahead with that. I did want to say something about my good friend Jim, who was also my neighbor for some time in Key West. We were very close over the years. I think where Gray Barker is concerned, wow, Jerry said so much, I sort of lost track, I should have taken notes. Where Gray Barker was concerned, I think it was the other way around. Jim was more of a fact freak, his term, not mine, than Gray was. Gray was more of a poet, and I don't think uh, as good of friends as they were actually were, I don't think that Jim ever fully understood the metaphorical mythos approach to the UFO phenomenon that, that Gray took and that I share. I'm using myth and mythos in more like the Jungian Joseph Campbell sort of way as someone who grew up around that Virginia, West Virginia folk folklore, which uh, is a very, you know, serious area of study of its own, I think that Gray uh, carried that out to its uh, illogical, logical conclusion by living in it. And Jim went along with that up to a certain point, but when it got to the time that The Silver Bridge was first published in 1971, Jim hated it. And uh, I loved it and still do, and I feel like it's probably the closest thing to a true picture of what UFOs and ufology 
was and is all about, uh, because it describes something that is mythic in mythic terms. I don't mean untrue any more than uh, I am an advocate of, a lifelong advocate of Reformed Judaism, and uh, we sort of consider the um, Hebrew Scriptures to be mythic, but we, we uh, adhere to it as a mythic underpinning to to Western civilization, essentially. I think that Jim grasped some of that. In the process, uh, we don't we haven't mentioned it, but Jim also was the only, to the extent that pre-internet we can talk about large publications in the Saucer News era, who published Yona um, Ibn Aron's and uh, uh, Jack Robinson's. All of them are gone. Uh, extraterrestrialism uh, theory, which predated all of this stuff that we get inundated with, with the ancient aliens, brouhaha that uh, is so popular on TV and which I have even played a small part in. And yet they, I for years talked to Gray, and when he was gone, talked to Jim about collecting all of that material, both from Saucer News and from the Consultants Committee on Semitic Philology, which was Jack and Yona, um, into one uh, publication because it was the only one that was based on uh, solid linguistic background and understanding of, of ancient languages and what they might might have meant. It's not my theory. But I think certain. the key here, of course, is, is this is something that's a little peripheral to Jim, although he published their works too. It was a publisher primarily, not Right, a but I want to correct primarily. you on one thing, Alan. There was another book about ancient astronauts that predates Yonas, and that is the first part of Flying Saucers of Landed by Desmond Leslie, which contained well, yeah, ancient astronauts. Well, we can argue the scholarship. There's a lot more about that right. uh, to that too. You also have to sort of, kind of buy into the Adamski story, which I think while I think it has a complex origin that is way beyond where we would need to talk about Jim, nevertheless is a work of fiction. And uh, so, you know, there have been works of fiction about, quote, ancient astronauts since before the term astronaut was in uh, popular use. Um, but uh, this was uh, a serious factual theory that uh, uh, predates the... Um, shall we say, the popularization of the idea of um, ancient visitations of uh, alien beings from elsewhere, which to me is the most credible notion of knowing the distances in space and having been present when Ursula Le Guin said, I can't write science fiction anymore, the distance between stars precludes it, um, uh, which <laughs> made my jaw drop open. It, it just makes me feel that um, that uh, Jim, as editor, which was his primary function, uh, he sponsored talks by other people. He gave talks of his own, but they were very conservative talks, extremely conservative talks throughout his career, just basically the nine gleaming objects and carrying forth the highlights of ufology, never any of the crazy stuff that I get into in a speculative and theoretical way. Now, one thing and, I should ask you, Alan, and we have so many guests here, I want to give everybody a chance to participate. Sure, okay? but I, I will be gone. Well, not You will be gone, so we want to get as much of you as we can, and of course, Tim is also going to leave during the first part of the show. Okay. We're not going to depart, though. We'll be here when you're all dead and gone, <laughs> and with Jim. 
Okay, Amen. well, we understand Hallelujah. and accept that. We understand okay. and accept that. Okay, now, you were involved, along with Rick Hilberg and others, in something called the Congress of Scientific Ufologists that later became the National UFO Conference, and you guys made Jim the permanent chairman of that organization. Why? It was very simple. The first permanent chairman, uh, we were meeting, uh, first of all, there is some dispute about it, but um, I dreamed it up. Maybe uh, the people in Cleveland also dreamed it up at the same time, and we coincided. While I was having a weekend at the um, um, at a hotel in Asheville, North Carolina, I guess I shouldn't mention the name of the... Well, sure I should. It's a Grove Park Inn, a prestigious hotel. And I decided I got in touch with uh, the luminaries in Ohio of that period, and we worked out having a convention in Cleveland. Then I was off for my journey to the east, and when I got back, we sat down in Chicago and started the convention and uh, named Al Manic as the, well, we didn't have any formal structure at that point, but uh, the reality was we didn't have a, a system, so he was, in effect, permanent chairman. Al, for whatever reason, stepped down around, oh, I guess, 1971-72, and Jim had been a regular at the convention throughout. He was a very well-known person. He had put on what I consider to be the largest and best uh, mm -hmm. UFO convention ever held before or since uh, at Commodore Hotel. A number of you were there in uh, 1967, was it? Yes. yes it, it was 1967. 24th, 1967. Frank Edwards was not in attendance. Uh, uh, Gray called me in the middle of the night and told me the, the, the old boy had dropped dead. But um, um, in any case, I thought that he was probably the, the most consistent person to sort of do the, uh, the, the gritty, the one place where nuts and bolts does have a role in ufology is persistence and keeping things going. And Jim was a great organizer mm -hmm. and was an, a doggedly persistent person and of modest independent means, much less elaborate than either I or he thought at the time. I'll um, tell you what, let's cover this more in our next segment. We are honoring Jim Mosley with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. When natural disasters strike and the water supply is shut off, you won't panic because you have a CWR emergency water filter. 
CWR Environmental has been supplying emergency water filters worldwide for over 25 years. The difference? CWR emergency water filters are portable, easy to set up, and exceptional at removing bacteria, parasites, sediment, and many harmful contaminants, including chlorine and harmful microorganisms. Plus, they are NSF certified to assure performance. CWR emergency water filters can produce thousands of gallons of safe drinking water from any water source and come with a five-year warranty and money-back guarantee. For a limited time, the filters are specially priced with free shipping. Call now, 800-444-3563. That's 800-444-3563. Or go to CWRSurvival.com. That's CWRSurvival.com. CWR emergency water filters. Drinking water you can trust for when you need it most. CWRSurvival.com. You know the Constitution like the back of your hand. You've read books, listened to podcasts, attended lectures, surfed websites, and watched videos. You've made liberty your life's goal. But something seems to be missing. Stickers from LibertyStickers.com. Exercise your freedom of speech with the world's most dangerous bumper stickers. That's LibertyStickers.com. But wait. There's more. You can buy Liberty Stickers wholesale. Get them for 99 cents each when you put 100 or more in your shopping cart in any combination. Sell them or give them away. They're great for gun shows, flea markets, fairs, outreach, and more. Earn extra money, promote freedom, and spread the word. Need custom stickers, labels, or decals for your organization or business? Liberty Stickers makes them. Go to LibertyStickers.com to order or call 877-873-9626. LibertyStickers.com, the world's most dangerous stickers. Millions of people are going to get sick this winter from colds, flu, and other illnesses. Don't be one of them. Protect yourself with Supernatural Silver, a revolutionary new broad-spectrum antibacterial solution. Recent advances in silver technology have resulted in a silver solution that can be used daily to prevent bacteria, viruses, mold, and food poisoning, and help improve wound healing. Supernatural Silver is safe enough to consume every day, while powerful enough to destroy the causes of many serious diseases, such as strep, staph, pneumonia, cold, flus, and other harmful pathogens. This new technology has the ability to terminate entire colonies of harmful bacteria at several hundred times the effectiveness of colloidal or ionic silver solutions. The Science Digest Journal says silver is our mightiest germ fighter. It is virtually non-toxic and is emerging as a wonder of modern medicine. Go to SupernaturalSilver.com today and use the promo code SILVER2012 for 20% off. That's SupernaturalSilver.com and like us on Facebook. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We have a number of guests honoring the memory of Jim Mosley, and it's designed to celebrate his life, not eulogize him, okay? And our guests include Geneva Hagen. We'll hear more from her in a few moments. Jerry Clark, Tim Beckley, Alan Greenfield, and Bob Zanotti. And Alan is explaining here how Jim became the permanent chairman of the... National UFO Conference. Yeah, I think that our feeling was that he would carry on, and he did for 25 years and uh, got it together in really difficult years and in really prosperous years, and we never quite equaled the convention that he sponsored in terms of size, scope, and 
number of luminaries. Uh, well, twelve thousand uh, people showed. Twelve thousand people showed up for that. Yeah, that is the the the, the, the mythos. Of course, Jim would have no. said that <laughs> the doors kept getting open that he had blocked. So we really don't know exactly how many. Well, people no, I did. no. Well, I, I dispute that because I was there and helped him run that uh, show. I manned the uh, telephone uh, room for about three or four days. It was like a political headquarters. It got to be so much that when the phone would ring, I would pretend to be an answering machine just so that I wouldn't have to answer the same questions. I'd give a little spiel and go on to the next one. Now, the problem was the way the hotel was set up, see, is that uh, there were elevators in the uh, convention. uh, The ballroom was like on the second floor, uh, kind of misplaced. But people would go up above, one floor up above, and then walk down the stairs, see? And we didn't have enough staff to man all the uh, all the possible uh, entrances to the uh, conference, but I think it, it was uh, close to twelve thousand actual paid people because that room with the balcony held about twenty three hundred. I know those, that Jim yeah. invested twelve thousand nineteen sixty seven dollars in it, and he got back twelve thousand. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty it came much. out equal. And sold a few books, but well, was, actually, a lot of people sold a few books, uh, and uh, there was a it was a, a microcosm of the summer of love, which is when it happened to take place, and it was a very interesting event. But the major point I was trying to make was, if you wanted someone to be your reliable planner to make sure that the convention carried on. It carried on longer than any other UFO convention. And when Jim finally gave up the post in his, I think, already mid-70s, uh, he turned it over to what seemed like a very officious group of people in L.A., and it went out of business in a Three year. years. Yeah, so the, the point being, perhaps we were on the right track in saying that uh, Jim was a mer- mercurial person, but he was... Uh, an efficient business organizer, and that's what you need to do the nuts and bolts of a convention. So if you had a convention corporation, you would call him the chief operating officer. Absolutely. The guy who did the nuts and bolts and the machinery, and he was very, very reliable. I mean, there was a time in the early days of Saucer News where Jim was taking trips down to Peru to do what he called smuggling, or if you look at the subtitle of his shockingly close to the truth book, Confessions of a Grave-Robbing Ufologist, he occasionally would be late with Saucer News, but when he got back to America and stayed here, he never missed an issue. It came out like clockwork, perfectly, every time. As soon as and he sold hand, hand justified, something that yes, indeed, people right. today can't really appreciate. But up until very recent years, that is a very, very painstaking process. And yet that's the way he handled it. Great. That's the way it was typed. All the columns were justified, and he was doing it on a regular electric typewriter. And I should mention to Alan that I am the other person who could do that. Because a lot wow. of the issues when I worked at Saucer News... I did the same scheme. But it was Saucer News, and it was, you know, I I mean, I'm not taking away from that. I admire the the skill, but the point is he wanted that skill to go into it. Look at the other newsletters of that period, including my own, you know. It's uh, some of them more expensive than Saucer News, and it got to be much sharper during the short period that that, that Gray edited it. But it was a, a beautiful publication that lasted for, what, six issues or maybe not even that many, and then... You know, there was this little real dispute between Gray and Jim, and um, Jim started with the the saucer 
rhyming thing, saucer blues, saucer Jews, which was dedicated to you and me and a couple of other Jewish persons. <laughs> and and in, by the uh, way, here's an interesting secret about that. When Jim had all those different titles, saucer who's, Jews, whatever, before he became saucer smear, I generated the typography for that for him. Well, that's excellent. I was a secret force behind that. Let me talk to Geneva briefly here because, Geneva, you first met Jim with me in 1967 at the New York Convention, right? That's when we met in person. We had corresponded before that, yes. Okay. Now, before we go on, you, of course, traveled different places with Jim after you and I went our separate ways. But you told me you had this letter from Jim where he kind of expresses his life. Yes, about a month before he died, he sent me a a letter, and at the closing, he writes this paragraph, which I would like to read, if you can give me a moment. Sure, go Uh, ahead. He says, summing up, my life has been almost unique. I was handed over a million dollars when I was young and gradually blew it, not on wild living, but in stupid decisions in business and my private life. I have traveled all over the world and seen and done many things that very few have seen and done. I had literally golden opportunities that I messed up, but I lived as I wanted to without really hurting other people, at least not intentionally, and I have been very, very lucky till now. Oh, boy. um, Bravo, bravo. That is is not only the summary of his life, but he was a major influence on me, and I would say today that's a summary of mine. When was this written? It was written in October of this year. Oh, wow. See, the date was, no, no, September 3rd. I I spoke with Jim uh, after he got his diagnosis, and uh, Jim had told me many, many times, in fact, our first conversation was about his uh, great fear of death, which I sort of had trouble understanding. A morbid fear of death was the way he described Mm -hmm. it. But in these last months... uh, I don't ever call anybody. It's just a bugaboo of mine. We all have some neurosis or we wouldn't be involved in this stuff. But but I, I called Jim when I heard that he was ill from him um, and uh, and from one of his relatively unknown fans who called him frequently and uh, a private person, so I won't mention any names. But um, So I, I was aware of the situation. I tried to talk to him about it, give him some alternative medicine ideas, but I also know the limitations of how much you can say to Jim about that. And he had become strangely philosophical about that for a person who supposedly had this morbid fear. He told me, well, you know, we all have our time. And I would say in 81 plus years, he had almost 81 good years, uh, defying the odds on uh, all the health advice I would give anyone. And towards the end, he um, I understand he had a, a few bad moments, which once he started chemo doesn't surprise me at all and which did him no good, may have killed him, in fact. Um, I think, by the way, he probably died in Miami. He told me he was going to hospitals in Miami. uh, He took chemo. I heard he went to a hospital in Key West. Isn't that true, Geneva? It was somewhere in that area. I'm not sure if it was actually in Key West. No, no. But he, I think... he got his chemo at a, at a clinic in Key West, but I'm pretty sure anyone critically ill is bussed off to Miami. There just isn't much of a, of a facility in Key West. You'd have to can I, uh, understand. Uh, can I get in here a moment? This is Bob, uh, Bob Zanotti here. 
As a matter of fact, I had a phone conversation with uh, Jim a few months ago uh, when he mentioned his uh, diagnosis, and he did tell me that they wanted to, this was his wording, they want to send me up to Miami. I don't know if he made it to Miami, but that yes, was the intention. I, I can confirm definitely. I spoke to him about it. He even told me the names of the hospitals that he had gone to. He got two opinions, which I think was good, but they were both from very orthodox uh, medical facilities, and both were in Miami. And we just, the last time we talked, he was about to start chemo. I didn't talk to him after he started, though I heard he took it hard, which is... Kind of what you'd expect, Alan. We're going to break right here. We have Geneva Hagen, Jerry Clark, Tim Beckley, Alan Greenfield, Bob Zanotti with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover Rocket Stoves, stainless steel, heavy-duty, or our original Grover Rocket Stove for only $135 and get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984 or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984 or StockStorage.com. The original Grover Rocket Stove Minimal Wood Use Cooking Stoves, available exclusively from StockStorage.com. That's the sound of your door being kicked in by an intruder with a single kick. That's the sound of the same door now protected by the Door Sentinel at MySafeDoor.com. Go to MySafeDoor.com right now and watch the amazing video. At MySafeDoor.com, you'll learn how to turn your home into a fortress with the Door Sentinel. 16 kicks later, and the Door Sentinel is still holding strong. MySafeDoor.com. That's MySafeDoor.com.
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. A little over a year ago, I began to do a lot of research into why, even though I had a pretty good-sized meal, that I was still starving. And my research led me to a well-known fact that most of the soils that we grow our crops on here in the United States and across the industrialized world are almost completely depleted of almost all of the key minerals and trace elements that our bodies need to rebuild themselves, fight off cancer, and be healthy. I then searched out the best vitamin and mineral company out there and discovered Longevity. The Longevity products are designed to give you the real nutrition you need, and once you've got that, you don't have to eat as much to be satisfied. I've lost 37 pounds in two months simply getting the vitamins and minerals I need. Check it out for yourself. It's incredible. Go to InfoWarsTeam.com today and order your first canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine Complete Multivitamin Mineral Complex Dietary Supplement. That's InfoWarsTeam.com. This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. We remember Jim Mosley pleasantly, happily, because he was such a great influence on our lives. Tim, you told me way back when we first discussed this that he, Jim Mosley, was in a sense responsible for the person that Tim Beckley became. Explain. Well, you know, I, of course, I had had my first UFO uh, sighting, the first of three, when I was 10 years old. And, uh, you know, I read the literature on the subject, and I guess somehow I got a hold of a copy of uh, a Saucer News. There wasn't uh, very much available, uh, actually, in the way of the literature as far as, like, stuff sold on the newsstand and all. But I think I found a copy of Saucer News in a bookstop, uh, bookshop or maybe on a, a magazine uh, rack uh, somewhere. And uh, I uh, would start coming. I lived in New Jersey at the time. And uh, Jim would have uh, regular UFO meetings uh, in the, some of the um, hotels around Times Square. He had some uh, well-known, uh, very well-known uh, figures, you know, that uh, at the time they were popularized by being on the Long John Neville show. And in fact, uh, to a large extent, I guess Jim has uh, Long John to thank for filling the, uh, the halls of his auditoriums on many occasions, and certainly uh, at the 1967 conference, because Long John had a a guest on every night for about a week or, or, or longer promoting the, uh, the show, you know. And uh, anyway, I would hear these shows on Long John Neville, and of course, uh, uh, Jim was uh, uh, on there on a regular basis, as was Gray Bark- Barker and uh, Yona and uh, uh, Jack Robinson, other key figures. And uh, I, I was always interested in the subject, so I wanted to meet some of these people in person. So I would uh, hop a bus over to uh, the Times Square uh, area, uh, with my brother-in-law, because I was still kind of young. I mean, I was like 14 or 15 or something like that. You know, In those days, who would want a kid coming into New York by themselves at that age? Well, you know something? Uh, so, when we grew up, you could go into New York at the age yeah, of 12, yeah, 14, was, and, yeah, but this was and not be in fear Square. of your life. Yeah, yeah, this was Times Square, and it was a little bit uh, rougher, although later on I made Times Square my uh, sort of my home because I ended up becoming involved in promoting uh, low-budget uh, horror and 
uh, other types of uh, unfamily-oriented films. So anyway, I would come into these uh, meetings, and uh, you know, they were small halls that uh, ran anywhere from, I I think, uh, you know, like uh, 75 people. Uh, One time, it was Ivan Sanderson, I think it was, was the scheduled speaker, and there were so many people that had showed up at the Alfred Dixon Speech Center, which was on 43rd Street, that Jim had to have two rooms going simultaneously in the in the building at the same time, you know, with different uh, uh, speakers because you couldn't stretch Ivan quite that far. So anyway, I, w- I would come in on a, on a regular basis, and I became fairly friendly with uh, Jim. Later on, I held my own uh, uh, meetings, but I, I think I probably attended just about all of those uh, along that uh, Times Square a strip at the Hotel Diplomat and the, um, oh, I forget the Diplomat and the uh, Woodstock, Hotel Woodstock. And in those days, you could get a hall for $25. It held 100 people. That's a joke, of course, today. Uh, so Jim and I became very uh, uh, friendly. And uh, uh, during that uh, 1967 conference uh, convention period, uh, he hired me as managing uh, editor of uh, Saucer News. I had been running the Interplanetary News Service Report, and I had pretty close to 1,500 paid uh, subscribers. Uh, but in those days, there were no Kinkos or quick copy places. You had to mimeograph or ditto the stuff yourself and collate it and staple it, uh, you know, by hand, everything by hand. Uh, and uh, boy, what a problem that was, you know, instead of out uh, chasing girls or playing football, I was chasing uh, UFOs. So uh, uh, Jim offered to take over my subscribers and combine them with his uh, subscribers and hire me. Uh, at a modest pay, but it was still pay. And I came into uh, Manhattan every day and worked out of 303 uh, Fifth uh, Avenue. And uh, Saucer News, for a period there, well, I I think even to this day, had slightly over 10,000 paid subscriptions, which outside of Fate Magazine, if you want to consider that in the genre of UFOs, would be the only UFO-oriented publication that ever came anywhere near that amount as far as paid subscribers were. Even uh, NICAP at its uh, peak, I think maybe had about 7,500 paid subscribers. I know because somebody had taken their mailing list out of the garbage over there in Washington, D.C. and sent it to me thinking I could use the names, but of course they were like, you know, 10 years old by that time. I'll tell you Uh, something very interesting in terms of numbers. If you look at the perspective of that, today, MUFON, the major UFO investigative body in the U.S., their membership is about 4,000 or 4,500. Oh, I think it's less than that now. Yeah, I think that's a pretty high estimate, actually. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, would, I would think about last I heard was maybe about 2,300 or something like that. You know? That's even worse. Well, the, 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 the uh, numbers have changed, and we are, we are really, in a way, discussing the move of generations in ufology. We were the teen ufologists when Jim was already doing this for what, five to ten years, depending oh, on what yeah, you Yeah, certainly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all, uh, well, most of us are 20 or more years younger, and presumably we'll be around for a while, but uh, the the fact is we uh, uh, we represent that next generation, which is now the contemporary generation of the wise old folks of, of ufology, such wisdom as we've gathered, which is... Uh, subject to a different type of, of program and evaluation, but um, uh, I can't think of anyone else from from Jim's generation that is uh, still around and still active. There may be a few people. Well, Brad, Brad Steiger would be the closest, I would guess. Yeah, I, that's a fair yeah. fair assessment. Although Ray Brad Stanford's is still like out me there, and into a much broader range of things mm-hmm. than 
UFOs. He's uh, as interested in uh, werewolves and the occult as he is. Well, are we all? Uh, no, I think that there <laughs> is there is a um, there is a strain, and it is still the dominant strain in what is called ufology. I'd call oh, it. Oh, I was orthodoxy. referring to us. Not, I was referring. Oh, to us. us? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I guess so. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. we are a unique us. I used to call it middle ufology. You know, not not uh, credulous contactee believers, but also not uh, nuts and bolts. Clearly, this is no. an invasion from Mars. We mentioned about the Jim being somewhat fearful of uh, passing uh, over. And I guess not in his last have, month, I think, yeah. by the way. Okay. I, would, I wanted I, to get that in. I, I'd like to say something about that. Um, in sure. the last letter, he has a, a paragraph, I no longer fear death, but I do fear misery, which might be coming soon. And then he expressed that his real fear was that he would outlive his money and ha there would be no money for his care. But that well, didn't happen. But he had overcome his fear of death. Yeah, Jim. Jim did have that fear throughout his life, though, too. I mean, about the yeah. He did say in Key West. He did say, "I've achieved a certain level of enlightenment." And I'm not sure what that term meant in terms of a guy who was a lifelong atheist. The first conversation I ever had with him was about atheism in 1964, and he expressed it first. He was pretty drunk at the time. This was during the convention and uh you know, to me he was a great luminary and I was a uh, seventeen year old kid. But I uh in an exasperation, which is not really the case, I said, Well I'm a fundamentalist and <laughs> it was an interesting conversation which he unfortunately didn't remember and didn't even remember meeting me until the next year, but I thought it was a very stimulating conversation. There, there, was, there was one incident that uh, puzzled him to some degree. Of course, uh, uh, Jim was a, um, a long-time guest on the Long John Show and um, knew uh, Long John's uh, fifth uh, wife, Candy Jones, rather well. And uh, Candy, well. Uh, told, yeah, uh, Candy told this story to me and to Jim. No, not that well. Uh, no. no. Uh, anyway, uh, Candy told the story to me and to uh, uh, Jim, and I believe Jim has printed it in his uh, newsletter, but Candy said she didn't want to mention it until she was deceased. But at uh, one point, you know, after Long John had uh, had passed away, uh, she took over the show, and for some reason she always had me on Sunday night, almost like straight Sundays. And I always figured, well, probably she couldn't get any other guests or something. And, and in those days, my God, there were there were radio studios, and you actually went up for an interview. Not anymore. I can't remember the last time I was in a radio uh, um, studio, actual studio, you know. Uh, anyway, she told this story. She said she was going through a lot of the old uh, Long John uh, tapes, which, of course, they, those were on big reel-to-reels. And she was cataloging them, you know, putting them down. I guess they played a couple of uh, times a week. They would play the old uh, shows with the Long John on it. And uh, in the middle of one of these tapes, like an hour or an hour and a half into the tape, and they would be about five hours long, the voice of her mother uh, appeared on the tape and called Candy by her nickname that only the two of them uh, uh, would, would use, or certainly a very limited number of people. Now, uh, Candy referred or kind of uh, referred to this as an EVP, you know, electronic voice phenomena. Uh, she said, and we both kind of agreed, that uh, there was no possible way. First of all, her mother had never been in the studio. There was no possible way that it could get on that uh, uh, tape. They didn't have a huge reel-to-reel -reel, uh, at home. 
And she knew it was her mother because the mother uh, referred to her by her nickname. I'll tell you what, we can get into more of this in a moment. I have an observation to make about Candy Jones, which you'll find fascinating, folks. We remember Jim Mosley with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Alley C. Why Alley C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Alley C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Alley C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Alley C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Alley C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Alley C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Alley C. For more information and to order Alley C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Alley C today. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien, just before we get back to the discussion, I wanted to add something about Candy Jones. Chris, did you ever meet Jim? Yeah, I did. Uh, I had. I actually met him a couple times. Um, the first time was at uh, the MUFON Symposium in 1998 in Denver, and uh, it was quite a uh, treat for me to finally meet that, uh, <laughs> how would I put it, the court jester of ufology, I think he's been called uh, a number of times over the years. Uh, he was just a, an, an amazing, engaging guy. It was just fun to, to talk to him. He didn't talk down to me. Uh, he was aware of my work. He actually had given my first book, The Mysterious Valley, a, a glowing review, which he, you know, he <laughs> didn't give that many good reviews, I think, over his last uh, 10 or 15 years. And, and I was very gratified uh, by that. But you and, one one uh, thing you should know, Chris, one thing you should know, Jim very seldom read a book from cover to cover. 
So if he gave your book more than the usual attention, you have to really feel proud. I do, and I still have a copy of Saucer Smear where he gave uh, my book a recommendation, and he also uh, gave my Secrets of the Mysterious Valley uh, a good recommendation as well in 2007. I wished I'd had a chance to spend more face time with him, but uh, I sure enjoyed the number of times that we had him on the show, Gene. Uh, He's really going to be missed. It's that kind of twinkle in the eye sort of, irreverence that uh, this field sorely needs and uh, i'm just hoping that we can have someone of his stature step up and and kind of take the mantle on of the (laughs) trickster of ufology okay i wanted to bring up this thing about candy jones tim and that is there was a book that came out some years back called the control of candy jones remember that one tim okay well absolutely Mm -hmm. explain to our listeners what that was because i wanted to give you a reaction that jim got about it go ahead well, I know that Jim didn't uh, believe that the story was true. but uh, And there was a reason for that, but let's go on. Well, uh, as I recall, now, we've published a lot of material about this uh, episode, but I'm, I'm no expert uh, on it. Uh, in fact, I don't uh, believe that the subject ever came up uh, of this uh, mind control uh, incident. Uh, it was kind of like a Manchurian candidate uh, thing. She was made into a an unwilling, well, what would be the, the word for it? Uh, she took uh, information and spy information and planted things uh, all over the world without knowing what she was doing. There's a name for that, and I can't think. It just slips my you know, at, at the moment. Uh, but apparently, she wrote uh, under hypnosis, done by Long John, I might add, or at least in the beginning. She told this story about uh, having been a liaison for the CIA, delivering uh, spy type information in various uh, places that she traveled. Okay, now there was also another book called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind about Chuck Barris, the TV gong show host, who supposedly also also had been some sort of secret agent. Now, Jim told me the story that he probably repeated on the show here, where he talked to Candy Jones' producer, who kind of said, ah, that's just something they made up. That was his reaction, not in words, but in actions, in the way he responded to it. And this was just... One of those things, Long John was not above pulling a prank on his show sometimes. Well, well that is true, but I don't think uh, Candy, now, uh, I knew Candy much better than I knew Long John. In fact, I remember uh, one time um, I got out of the, we both got out of the show. She lived in my neighborhood uh, down around uh, 34th Street. And uh, so it was. Uh, there was a blizzard going on outside, and we both had to go home. And since we were going the same uh, direction, we tried to hail a cab. Well, there was no cab stopping uh, for us, so we both simultaneously grabbed onto the back door handle uh, of a, a cab that was going uh, about its way and slid down uh, Broadway a little bit until they stopped and did let us uh, in. But I, I knew Candy fairly well, and she was not like Long John as far as that goes. So. I don't see why she would make up an entire story like that. But like I said, I was not privy to really information on that, and I never really questioned her. But just to finish the the story about this EVP of her mother, I don't believe that was a hoax because it had nothing to do with Long John. He was deceased when this happened. I remember that Jim was taken somewhat aback by that because, as you mentioned, he seemed to be a an atheist, but not a pushy one. You know, he wasn't didn't try to force his views down your, your throat on it or anything, you know. He seemed to be a little bit uh, disturbed by that uh, or perplexed because he realized that it, there seemed to be something uh, to it. There was no way that that voice could have gotten on that uh, tape that we know of. Candy wasn't hoaxing it. She just wasn't the type of person to do that. Long John, yes, we know he did. But uh, Candy, no, nah, no, nah, I would say not. If she said that voice was on the tape, it was on the tape. 
I'm getting a low battery signal on my phone, so before it cuts me off, because it gives me like four before it cuts off, I wanted to bring one thing up, and Gene can sort of carry it from there, which is why I think that the ufologists and the phenomena that they look into or investigate, depending on how you look at it, interact and are part of the same uh, framework, which was the Wanaku, New Jersey uh, case. And I'll just say very quickly that, um, uh, and Gene can comment on it after I get off the phone, but um, we discussed this in advance. And my source was Gene Steinberg, who happens to be hosting the show, so he can certainly carry it on. Or just simply uh, say, I made it all up, and Alan didn't know that until now. Did you? I don't know. <laughs> no, you did not. Um, essentially, what you told me at the time, and it was immediate time, and it was pretty deadpan, so you're not noted for, unlike Jim, you're, and unlike Gray, you're not noted for deadpan when you're kidding. You're, you're, you're kind of goofy like me, but um, apparently one evening you and Jim were sitting together and Jim was, as usual, getting a little drunker and drunker and decided to make a random hoax phone call and it happened to be to the Wanaku, New Jersey Police Department saying that uh, he'd seen a UFO over the Wanaku Reservoir. Uh, Jim, uh, on a on a paracast, actually said he had no memory of this whatsoever, but Gene and I both said that the, we distinctly remember this was the way that it happened, because after that, there was a genuine UFO flap, right? Uh, whatever that may mean. I had similar experiences, not as a hoax, but I would hold uh, when such things were possible in a much smaller Atlanta in those days, uh, citywide sky watches, which I would advertise in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and there were invariably not just a lot of phone calls, but some really good sightings, and I reached the conclusion that there was this interaction between interest, UFOs, ufologists, and sightings, and that was a really spooky story. I'll stay on until the phone checks out, but say goodbye because I don't know when it, you know, just will turn me off and listen in as long as I can. Fascinating discussion, and and I, I miss Jim a lot. He taught me to laugh in terms of strange phenomena, and I've never lost that ability to take it seriously, but also to take it with a grain of salt, even my own ideas. Thank you, my friend, Alan Greenfield. Let's continue. Bob Zanotti, you were doing this radio show called Coffee Clutch in the 60s. How did you get acquainted with Jim Mosley? Well, it was uh, an interesting um, time for everyone getting interested in flying saucers. I remember growing up in Hawthorne, New Jersey, about 57 or something. This kid picked up Max B. Miller's <laughs> magazine, uh, about flying saucers. Saucers. And, it saucers yeah. Sorry? It was called Saucers, one word. Yeah, I was just, I, the, the, the title escaped me, but um, yeah. whatever it was, Max B. Miller. And um, I started reading and I saw names in there. I think there were pictures from uh, August C. Roberts, and I, I really got going on this. And that was the time, of course, when the UFOs were really big and were making their great debut in the modern times. And um, a bit of a ham radio story here, but been a radio ham for many, many years. And a friend of mine who actually himself went into broadcasting, a school buddy of mine, uh, hooked up on the ham radio one day with a fellow in Jersey City, New Jersey, by the name of Dominic Lucchesi. Dom was a radio ham. 
And he said, gee, uh, Bob, you got to talk to this guy. He talks all about flying saucers and everything. Gave me his call letters, and I heard him one night and gave him a shout, and we chatted for a long time. We uh, understood each other quite well, and he said to me, Bob, you got to come over to my place in, in, um, uh, in Jersey City. We have a gathering of some interesting people here all the time. And I'll tell you what, we'll learn what kind of gathering that was. Oh, and it was a great one. It was indeed. Thank you, Bob Zanotti. We'll have more about Jim Osley, his life and times. You're listening to Gene and Chris and many other people. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out asseenontv.com. And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SCENE1, S-E-E-N number 1, SCENE1. Go to asseenontv.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest As Seen on TV items. Save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366. 1-866-277-3366. The code Scene 1 to save 10%. Good day. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources. November 21st, 2012. Gold opened this morning at 1726.80. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1769.50, 884.75 for a half ounce, or 442.37 for a quarter ounce. That's 1769.50, 884.75, and 442.37. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237. If you're considering a water filter, have you heard about Aquapail? Aquapail from FreezeDryGuy.com has huge advantages over many other water filters. American-made Aquapail units are designed and engineered to not just filter contaminated water, but capture or kill all bacteria and viruses to non-detectable levels. Aquapel has the fastest flow rate of any other water filter on the market, filtering a gallon of contaminated water in about five minutes. That's water when you need it. Now, get the world's fastest, safest, and most reliable gravity-fed portable water treatment system for surface, well, and wastewater sources. Aquapel. Available in four sizes starting at only $100. In all orders to the lower 48, ship free. Call 866-404-3663 or go to freezedryguy.com. That's 866-404-3663 or freezedryguy.com. 100% veteran-owned. The Freeze Dry Guy. You know the Constitution like the back of your hand. You've read books, listened to podcasts, attended lectures, surfed websites, and watched videos. You've made liberty your life's goal. But something seems to be missing. 
Stickers from LibertyStickers.com. Exercise your freedom of speech with the world's most dangerous bumper stickers. That's LibertyStickers.com. But wait. There's more. You can buy Liberty Stickers wholesale. Get them for 99 cents each when you put 100 or more in your shopping cart in any combination. Sell them or give them away. They're great for gun shows, flea markets, fairs, outreach, and more. Earn extra money, promote freedom, and spread the word. Need custom stickers, labels, or decals for your organization or business? Liberty Stickers makes them. Go to LibertyStickers.com to order or call 877-873-9626. LibertyStickers.com, the world's most dangerous stickers. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We return to the Paracast remembering Jim Mosey, Life and Times. Alan Greenfield has left the building. And he'll have a lot more to say because he'll be back on the Paracast many times, we hope. We were talking to another close friend of Jim Mosley's, Bob Zanotti, who first became acquainted with one of Jim's friends, Dominic Lucchesi, on the ham radio. And then you went to one of their social gatherings. What were your expectations? Just a bunch of people carrying on or what? I would equate it without too much exaggeration. We New Yorkers always exaggerate just a little bit to make a point. I had the same, don't forget, I was this uh, <laughs> this fuzzy-faced kid, you know, a teenager. You and I are about the same age at the time, Gene. Well, I wasn't scared. I was just so enthusiastic because Dom said, oh, my God, a great crowd of people. And he rattled off a couple of names. Augie Roberts is here and Jim Mosley. And at the time, I didn't connect all of these names. I didn't know them. I never met them. So I made the trek out there to his apartment in Jersey City, was met to... Uh, at the door, he brought me in, and I, I'll never forget it, I forget the scene. I wasn't the first one there. But um, Augie Roberts, whom I hadn't really met yet, uh, didn't know him at all, became very, very close friends later on. And then Jim was sitting there. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> speaking of drinking, I think he had a glass of scotch in his hand at the time. Jack Robinson was there at the time. So we had uh, quite a few uh, of the the core people of what became known, what Augie Roberts used to refer to all the time as the New York circle of ufologists. And I was introduced and um, we just started to talk and we started swapping stories about uh, UFOs and the offbeat. And Gene, you know that apartment. Do you remember that weird photograph, uh, not a photograph, a painting on the wall at Dom's place? It was the painting of a space woman, a rather haunting figure with white hair and almost, you know, haunting, haunting. And I still remember that that meeting. This was about 1961. Well, in the meantime, I really got enthusiastic. I had a lot of contact with Augie Roberts, and I met another ham. This guy was a technician down at the radio station WFMU in East Orange, New Jersey, which is the New York metro area. And I went down there. He said, when well, you got to come and see the station. And I went down and I talked to the program director there and the station manager. I said, yeah, I, I really, I've got this feeling that I'd like to get into broadcasting. I, I seem to have a, a, a feeling for it, a talent. You know, I, 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 I admire the Long John show. And of course, like you, Gene, and you, Tim, I mean, we, we grew up uh, on Long John Neville. I mean, this was, this was part of our culture. And it's funny, I, too, because people these days do not remember Long John. They think the of Art Bell. Yeah, as the pioneer I, 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 paranormal show host, but no, it was Long John first. 
Exactly, exactly. Long John was the pioneer. Nobody did it better than Long John. We're going back to the 1950s. It was a clever idea, and he was very big in New York, and I admired Long John. I met him a couple of times. I used to go up to WOR on a Friday night as a student in New York, and we'd chat. I met him, met Gene Shepard a couple of times. And anyway, uh, to get back to the story, uh, I said, you know, um, I would love to do a program, something like Long John Neville talking about the offbeat and this, he said, well, as a matter of fact, we've got an opening on Friday nights. Do you want to try it? <laughs> this was a university station. I said, well, sure, why not? I was 17 years old. I just got my driver's license in the state of New Jersey. And so that's the way it began. And I talked to Augie, and he got excited. He said, oh, this is wonderful, a new show. And, I'll, you know, I got lots of people I know. And uh, Augie said, gee, you gotta, we got to bring Jim Mosley on. Well, Jim turned up, uh, it was uh, a year later, uh, 1962, he came over with Jack Robinson. Eventually, a fellow by the name of Gene Steinberg turned up one evening. Oh, that was very mysterious. Of course, I wasn't there physically. In the physical realm, I was there in some other kind of dimensional manifestation. <laughs> well, Gene, Gene, you became uh, what Long John used to call one of the regulars. We had the, we had a core group on Coffee Clutch, and Jim was one of them. And Jack and Augie and you, and then Tim came later, he was on the show, and some others. It was very much an offbeat show. And in fact, I'm very proud, I can tell you this, it, was, it got so, so popular at one point, believe it or not, the Coffee Clot show on WFMU was actually listed um, in the radio TV section of the New York Times. I really got floored when I saw that. And that's how I, that's how I got to meet um, Jim and you and all the others. And... I, I, I've been listening very carefully in the previous segments, and i just nodding here. Yeah, that's very much Jim. Now, I, I just want a little caveat here. Um, the others who have been on the show so far, and those still here, uh, remember Jim for a continuous period, practically until his death. But, of course, my recollection of Jim was very much the 1960s, in, and I came back a couple of times. I was in Europe already in 67. I knew all about that fabulous convention, and I really regretted not having, being able to go there. I remember it was a really exciting event. And a couple of times he had a couple of parties. He had wild parties. They were always very wet parties, very wild parties. Well, and not he, that wild. They were not wild by our current... Jane, yeah, uh, they, were talking, were, they were pretty we're talking, wild parties. They were pretty wild. We're talking the very staid 60s now. <laughs> well, uh, there is that comparison, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me anyway, as this, uh, this fuzzy-faced kid, I, I, I was very much impressed. And, I, you know, you were hobnobbing with some really interesting and sometimes very weird people. Uh, very, you know, uh, and, and this uh, Jim was great. He was a great host, and he was a funny guy. He had a sense of humor, and he was very unassuming. Someone at the very beginning of the show was talking about his IQ. He was very articulate, very intelligent, very well read. Um, and um, he was also a couple of things I'd like to say about him. In my contact with him, which was very much through the show, and we did a lot of shows together, as you know. I've got stacks of tapes here. And uh, one of them, uh, you mentioned Wanakew, and there's an interesting twist to that. Augie Roberts won it, and I went to cover that. In fact, I think I sent you the MP3 of an interview with one of the guards up there who uh, described what he saw. But anyway, getting back to, uh, to Jim, Jim was very tolerant. He probably, I always had the impression he had clear ideas. He had his own philosophy. He used to say it, but he never really declared openly what he thought about it. He wasn't he was dogmatic about it. 
No, no. And he, he, Very tolerant Some people would be unkind. Some people might be unkind and say he was, he was sitting on the fence all the time. I think he went, I think Augie Roberts put it this way. Uh, Jim will go any way the wind is going, you know. Or he, uh, Don, uh, Dom Lucchesi was very similar. Um, as to, to quote Augie, if you go negative, he'll go positive. You go positive, he'll go negative, just to keep things stirred up. Uh, one thing uh, with, with Jim, um, I want to stress the word tolerance because, you know, I, I was starting out in my broadcasting career. When I listened to those old shows, they weren't bad for a 17, 18, 19-year-old. Nine year, and um, you weren't too bad either, uh, Gene, to tell you the truth. You were very glib and very articulate and a great contributor to that show. And I'm glad to see that you've carried on and followed it professionally, too, just as an aside. But, you know, Jim probably figured, oh, God, this kid, you know, he's obviously imitating Long John. And, but I, he never, ever gave me the impression of intolerance. On the contrary, he gave me the impression of being a kind of mentor, helping along. You ask him a question, no matter how seemingly ridiculous, he would answer it. And then if you got to know him a little bit better, I mean, he admitted to he admitted to, to pranks and all that uh, stuff. We'll get into more of that in a moment. We have to do the yeah. break. And Geneva wanted to make a few more comments before we see her off. So we'll do that in the next segment. We're talking about the one, the only, the court jester of ufology, Jim Mosley. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. Call 800-346-6829. Learn how I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. 
Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call one 800 How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract. This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal. We have an all-star guest list here of my personal friends, friends of Jim Mosley, including Jerome Clark, Geneva Hagen, Tim Beckley, Alan Greenfield, who left us a while back, and Bob Zanotti. Geneva, knowing Jim as well as you did, how did he influence your opinions and expectations about these crazy studies? About ufology? Ufology um, and any of the related things that go on around it. Well, I suppose he kind of undermined my um, credulity. I grew up in a family that had practiced a lot of Appalachian folk magic, and um, so I saw a lot of that happen, but so far as UFOs, a green fireball is as much a, as close as I ever came to a UFO. And uh, the fact that you could hang out with someone like Jim Mosley and never never meet one credible UFO contactee certainly kind of kicked the bottom out of that belief. But uh, I do remember one particular spring of 1976 when there was a UFO seance in North Hudson Park, New Jersey. Oh, I was responsible for that, but go ahead. Right. Give your reaction, Geneva, and then uh, Tim will contribute. Go ahead. Jim Jim Beckley? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Jim might want to say more about it. Um, I kind of came in for the pre-seance party, which Jim was hosting at his apartment, and press releases had gone out. It was probably one of the first flash mobs that ever happened 
uh, it had been published in the newspaper, which it wasn't supposed to be announced in advance, but it was. And 500 people came out at midnight for this seance of uh, the Freibergs, who were friends of Bud Hopkins, and they were there to de-ghost some houses in Manhattan, and they were supposed to conjure down some UFOs. But uh, with 500 people milling around, being rowdy, selling popcorn and balloons, and eventually when the UFOs didn't show up, they they mobbed the Freiburg's car and started rocking it back and forth. And it was starting to look pretty scary, but then a character showed up in the background wearing a, a silver suit, and everybody... It went chasing after them, so the Freibergs escaped intact and continued their seance on the roof of uh, the Stonehenge apartment building, which um, was very cold and windy, so I didn't stay for that part, but perhaps Tim did. I did. Uh, In fact, I have to say that I am responsible for that event. Uh, Actually, the Freibergs were not friends of uh, Bud Hopkins. In fact, if anything, the Bud hated this. In fact, that's why for years uh, Bud and Jim did not speak. The Freibergs had hired me to be their publicist. Now, people sometimes get confused because I'm Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, the ufologist, but I'm also Tim Beckley, the publisher and the promoter. And sometimes there can even be an inner conflict. So anyway, so the Freibergs had hired me to get some attention uh, for um, them. Warren was a talk show host, a, a, a right-wing talk show host out of Chicago, and uh, his wife was a Libby, who was a psychic. Uh, they never got along off the air. I believe both of them are deceased. Anyway, uh, we did get the, a notice about this uh, in the on the front page of the Star-Ledger, and it did attract a crowd. There was a naked man with sparklers running through the crowd. There was people selling balloons, and as you mentioned, it, it was quite an event. People would say, but the, this is not uh, the presentation you want to make for serious ufology. Well, uh, sometimes ufology is not serious. By the way, who's to say who is serious or what is serious? It's kind of hard to do in this uh, in this field, as you know. So uh, anyway, Bud and Jim did not talk uh, for a long time because uh, of this. In fact, I don't think they ever talked uh, after uh, that. Uh, Peter Robbins is kind of an intermediary, so maybe he got them towards the end there to at least smile at each other. But uh, for many, I don't many think years, so. I knew yeah. Bud pretty well. Bud did not like him. No, he did, and, and that was the that was the root of it to some degree. Although I think that's kind of silly, to be honest with you. Both gentlemen have passed, and Bud had his, uh, you know, his uh, very positive side as far as I'm, I'm concerned, and some negative Absolutely. things as, as we all do. And when you think about it, it's a childish. Uh, event uh, that was uh, meant to uh, uh, celebrate, if that's not the right word, uh, this incident that took place where little aliens came out with shovels and put uh, soil into buckets and went back into I mean, that's pretty silly to begin with, even if it happened, right? I mean, it's all kind of ridiculous. <laughs> when you think about it, it's called uh, not to speak to somebody over, you know, for years because of something like this is just insane amongst itself. Jim being the trickster, I, I guess he was considered responsible for it, but actually I was the one that had organized it because I had been paid to do so. But uh, Jim uh, somehow got smack in the middle of it because he had the party before this event uh, over uh, at his apartment there in Fort Lee or Gutenberg, maybe it was by that time. Uh, and, and so uh, people of, of any nature, pro-con or indifference, were invited. And I guess uh, Bud considered that his case and uh, so was not very, uh, you know, did not welcome uh, Jim's attention to the matter. Well, Jim held a grudge for a very long time, too, though. So, I mean, it was both sides. 
Uh, my big, of course, uh, incident, UFO-related incident with the gym, which has become of a historic nature, is uh, taking the photograph of the uh, this uh, purported uh, uh, man in black outside of Jack Robinson's apartment building in Jersey City. Uh, this would have been back around uh, 1967, 68. I can never keep the date in my head. It's written down, of course. There had been some widespread UFO sightings, including, I believe, another incident in another park there in New Jersey where some teenagers had um, seen some uh, uh, creatures. I don't believe they were little men. Maybe these were taller, hairier uh, beings. And for some reason, the uh, the Mib had uh, grown attached to these uh, to these boys. They seemed to be keeping tabs of them. And uh, Jack Robinson was the main investigator on the case, or one of the main uh, investigators. And uh, he claims that a couple of times his phone was being, uh, the calls were being intercepted, somebody was listening in, some of his files had been messed up and maybe missing or thrown over the apartment, but yet there was no sign of a, a break-in. And uh, Jack would work over in Manhattan. He would take the path train uh, over uh, to the city. Uh, and shortly after he'd left leave for work, his wife, uh, Mary Robinson, a very charming lady, would go do the shopping and the chores. And she claimed that on the way back, she would notice the standing in the doorway of the building right next door was this uh, strange-looking individual dressed uh, all in black, very zombified. Zombified, yes. Zombified, yes. Uh, and in fact, I, I think that's what the men in black uh, are. They are mind-controlled zombies of these other ultra-terrestrials. I mean, they're, they're actually humans that are doing the work, the dirty deeds uh, for whoever is behind or the UFO. So uh, Mary would see this uh, figure standing in the doorway and report it to Jack. And I guess uh, it, uh, after a while they thought it uh, was uh, perhaps getting a little bit menacing, although I don't think there was any uh, overt attempt to silence them or threaten them, or I don't think this person ever moved. Anyway, uh, Jim was very skeptical of the, uh, the story because uh, Mary was a psychic and fooled around with the Ouija board. Uh, she, unlike Jack, who was more nuts and bolts, I think. I mean, he believed in the paranormal nature of this, but he was more scientifically inclined, if we could use that uh, word, while Mary was uh, pretty far out with the psychic and the um, the mediumship stuff, but a very nice lady and uh, believable to some extent. So Jim decided, well, let he and I uh, go over to Jersey City one day without telling the Robinson that we're coming to see if there's actually somebody in the doorway monitoring the activities of somebody coming in and out of the building. So indeed, Jim drove, and we got to the building. There was somebody standing there, recessed into the doorway. Jim handed me the camera. I took a couple of one shot at least. I took one of the automobile, and we decided we were going to drive around the block, and then Jim would park or double park or something, a very small uh, street that they lived on, and there were cars double parked there all the time and so forth. And so so we moved around the block, and that took maybe about four or five minutes to circle the block. We came back, and the individual was gone, and the automobile was gone. And this is the last time that the Robinsons ever reported seeing anybody there. So it's kind of like instead of the, the men in black scaring us, we spooked them, and they never showed up again. So well, basically no. you spooked the men in black. We're about to do the break. In case you're wondering what the sound of dogs barking is like, they're having a debate out there about UFOs or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> Much more intense in our debate, but we'll do our best to minimize that. I want to thank on this segment Geneva Hagen and Tim Beckley for both joining us. We appreciate everything you've done. We appreciate and, and, both and, of you for being you. And Jim, you, rest Jim. in peace. God bless you, man. It's been a pleasure. Geneva, nice to, nice to meet you for the first time. And Tim, nice to hear you again after you so bet. many years. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Yeah. 
America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. For all women and men who wish their fingernails were harder, this Christmas, wishes come true. Introducing Nails of Steel, a new revolutionary nail hardener. Nails of Steel puts muscle into your soft nails with a creamy, rich, natural herbal formula that is antifungal, hypoallergenic, and biodegradable. Just massage a drop of Nails of Steel over your natural or polished nails and go. With Nails of Steel, there's virtually no drying time. Within the first week, you'll notice your nails getting stronger to eliminate breaking, chipping, splitting, hangnails, Nails and fungus. Nails of Steel makes a great stocking stuffer for women or men. And right now, get three one ounce bottles for only $74.95. That's about a $5 price break on each bottle that'll last you for months. Visit nailsofsteel.com. That's nailsofsteel.com. Nails of Steel. It's like a salon in a bottle. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Do you think your home is toxic? According to the Consumer Protection Agency, over 150 chemicals found in the average home are connected to allergies, birth defects, cancer, and psychological disorders. The proven fact is, we live in the most toxic environment in history. Yes, toxins can be killers, but there is something you can do. Detoxify your body with the Ion Cleanse detoxification system from A Major Difference. The Ion Cleanse is made in the USA, carries the best warranty in the industry, and comes with a no-risk, money-back guarantee. We have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and are trusted by thousands of doctors worldwide. Visit IonCleanse.com. That's I-O-N-Cleanse.com. 
or call 877-315-8638. That's 877-315-8638. Invest in your health with the Ion Cleanse from A Major Difference. IonCleanse.com, one of the most important decisions you will ever make. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. So as the debate continues here between nine dogs from our next-door neighbors who are busy debating UFOs and things that go bump in the night, we're debating and we're discussing the life and times of Jim Mosley, one of the unique figures in UFO research. Our complement of people over this show has included Geneva Hagen. She was co-editor of Caveat Tour. I was the editor. We also had Alan Greenfield and Tim Beckley. Bob Zanotti remains. Jerry Clark remains. I'm going to ask you a question, Jerry. Looking over all the stuff that you've heard about Jim, when you first learned that he was involved in the Straith letter and all the hoaxes, that kind of put you off as to what this guy was? No, because I don't think I ever had any illusions about Jim. Unlike Alan Greenfield, apparently I'm not really sentimental about Jim. I liked Jim. He and I were quite close in his last years, and we corresponded the old-fashioned way through the mail because he was not an Internet kind of guy. We actually got pretty close, and I, I, I was fond of him, and he confided a bunch of things in me, and he talked about his impending departure from the earth and his skepticism about life after death. And I always liked Jim. I didn't think that Jim was... He was sort of an unusual guy. He wasn't exactly a remarkable guy. He was just a guy who happened, because of circumstances, to be able to be in place when a lot of interesting things were happening, and not just phenomenologically, but culturally. And he was in the middle of that, and he got to document a lot of it. I don't think that he really understood a lot of what was happening around him, but he was writing it down, and that alone makes him a significant figure. Jerry, could I could I just uh, make a point here about this? Um, I remember very early on when I met uh, Augie Roberts, who seemed to have quite a bit of information about Jim. Uh, he told me the story that Jim was rather wealthy. Uh, he had a a trust fund in his name uh, at the something through the barber shipping lines or something. So, in other words, Jim was very um, was very wealthy, certainly back in those days, and. You know, I don't mean this in an unkind way, but just to make it a bit graphic. Well, he wasn't wealthy in a Rockefeller sense, but he was no, pretty well off. I mean, you know, when you had a few hundred thousand at your disposal back in the 50s and 60s, you were certainly well-to-do, and money was not his problem at the time. I, I sometimes got the impression of, um, this sounds pejorative, I do not mean it that way, uh, the poor little rich kid who was looking for kicks. He didn't have to work. He could really, I had a feeling that ufology in many, in, in some way, was a kind of hobby, a diversion. And which maybe accounts for the fact, as some people have observed, he never really took it, sometimes he didn't take it that seriously. At the time, it was a big thing. It was exciting. Uh, there were things to do, activities. You could meet people, go around, chase flying saucers and do some pseudo research. That's the kind of feeling I had about Jim, uh, based on some of his comments over the period of time. And I think that Gray Barker was a bit like that, too. Uh, I think the, the both of them uh, approached ufology, at least at one point in the early days, very much in, in, in that sense. 
um, just something to do, a diversion. You didn't have the internet, you didn't have social networking, so you went out and chased flying saucers. And um, that was uh, Jim's attitude for much of it. When you start talking about uh, buried treasure or robbing uh, graves uh, in South America, he got extremely serious, and he took this extremely seriously. And, of course, that was uh, very important to him. I think ufology was a diversion more than a, than a passion with him. I think that I agree with just about everything you say. I think these, those are all well-taken points. I have written a review, uh, excuse me, an obituary of Jim for the British magazine 40 and Times. And one of the points I make is that because Jim had money, he didn't have to worry about nine to five diversions. So he could basically do whatever he wanted to do or whatever he bopped into. And I think that over time, the UFO social world that he was in, just because he was like a whole lot of other people intrigued by UFO reports, I think that in time, that really, that the UFO social world became his social world. That he lived in this world surrounded by familiar people that he liked or disliked, but who really kind of defined his life. And, um, and because he had money, although I understand he was running out of money toward the end, but he wasn't distracted by jobs and, and pedestrian things like that that the rest of us have to deal with. So he could do what he wanted to do. And he, he did some interesting things, and that's why we're talking about it. Well, one of the things I think we can bear in mind is that over the years, Jim first tried very hard to get control of his money. It was originally set in a trust fund. The money was in the ownership of something called Barber Steamship Lines, which was his late mother's parents who had run that company, I gathered. So he had a lot of money in his name. He had a trust fund that he could access with, I guess, monthly paychecks. But his big thing is that he tried to gain control. And when he finally gained control, the problem is, of course, that he kind of frittered the money away in rather bad investments. If he had left well enough alone, he would have been better off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, something that Jerry said a moment ago should be t- uh, picked up on, I think it's a very important point, actually, and it, it's, it's really obvious. I think that Jim made a, a major contribution to ufology, as he did. That's why we're paying homage to him today. Because for the very fact that he didn't have to worry about everyday mundane things, going out and having a nine-to-five job, as you pointed out, Jerry. And I think this allowed him the freedom to do basically what he wanted. I mean, you had to be, even today, I suppose, up to a point, unless you industrialize ufology, and some people have. In those days, I mean, you had to be very dedicated, and you had to have some means to go around to follow up all these stories, and he did it very well. But I think had he had a nine-to-five job, that would not have been possible. And uh, we can debate his real personal interest in ufology, his beliefs about it, but I think it was just, I say again, and uh, I think you and I both agree, I don't know where Gene stands on it, but it seems to have been a, a hobby, a diversion. It was fun. It got big. He made a name. And I may remember him making references to that. Uh, we had a discussion once about why he liked to go on the radio. He says, well, I like people to hear me on the radio. And Ray <laughs> Barker said very much the same thing. Sorry about the dogs, ladies and gentlemen. They're still having that debate over things that go bump in the night, which is what's upsetting them. And this is the daytime. Are you Except, calling us dogs, Gene? No, I'm talking about those things you hear in the background. 
But <laughs> just wondering why they're doing that. But seriously speaking here, there was a time, I think, where Jim did regard Saucer News as a nine-to-five job, although maybe more like a noon-to-eight-o'clock job, because for the time that I worked as managing editor of Saucer News, I came in there five days a week, worked an unusual work day, but still seven, eight hours with a lunch break, and Jim was there for most of the time unless he was doing something that required his attention. So for a time, he really ran that as a real product, as a real publication, as a real place of employment for people. Very interesting, despite the fact that he didn't have to do that. Well, I was surprised to hear how successful uh, he was, actually, with his publications, because uh, that's amazing. I mean, I, I had no idea he was that successful. Well, you see, the big thing about it, though, is that there was a limit to how far he could go. And he saw the limit. You know, maybe he tried to push too fast, too far with the UFO convention in 1967. That was the beginning of the end of Saucer News. It was maybe a year or two later, I believe, that he sold the publication to Gray Barker. 68. 68. That really exhausted him. He realized that after all that work, getting all those thousands of people to attend this nationally covered UFO convention, he still couldn't show a real profit at the end. And if you're running a business, you expect to at least earn enough money to pay your keep. And he didn't. He barely broke even, or maybe he broke even with a small amount of money. But it became very frustrating. He reached this limit. You can only go so far with UFOs, with saucers, and then you just had to stop. And, and, he and in 1967 was probably the peak of popular interest in UFOs. That's right. So if you couldn't make a bundle then, you weren't going to make a bundle That ever. was it. He could see the cyclical nature because he'd been in the UFO field since the early 50s. And he could see at this particular point in time that after you've made all this wonderful effort, I mean, he really did hard work there. This guy was at it seven days a week to build this convention to promote it. He had Tim and other people. I had left the New York area at the time. I came in to visit. But the key is here is that after all this effort, reaching the pinnacle of success such as it is, Saucer News couldn't become something that would exist on the next level and continue to grow. Maybe a newsstand publication or something that would go on year after year. Didn't happen. UFOs were always cyclical. It's like over the years you've seen commercial newsstand publications about UFOs, and they come and they go. Because interest just wanes and increases again where you go. We still have Bob Zanotti and Jerry Clark joining Gene and Chris. Um, remembrance of Jim Mosley, you're in the Paracast. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. 
We the people grow cotton, wheat fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Here it comes, another cold and flu season. Get ready for it and save now during the pre-winter sale at HerbalHealer.com. Don't be without powerful natural flu fighters like elderberry power capsules. They support the immune system and they have antiviral properties. Another powerful antiviral is olive leaf capsules, highly recommended by Herbal Healer Academy. Also on sale is Physician Strength Oregacillin, a savior for the lungs. It fights bacteria, virus, and fungus. Our famous four-herb capsules are a gentle liver cleanser and can be taken daily. Also featured this winter are the homeopathic detoxes, liver, kidney, lung, limb, whole body and brain detox on sale and remember as always new customers get a free 128 page catalog with your order log on and hit the pre-winter specials at herbalhealer.com healing the world with nature one person at a time since 1988 welcome back to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is our observance of the life and times of Jim Mosley. What an amazing life. Over the episodes so far, we've had Geneva Hagen, Tim Peckley, Alan Greenfield, we still have Bob Zanotti, and Jerry Clark. Now, have you seen this too, Jerry, that... Efforts are made over the years to commercialize UFOs in a sense, to have a successful publication or something, but it always fails after a few years. Yes, I think that with UFOs, one problem is that I think even people out there and the consuming public understand that this is just going to go on ambiguously without resolution. And it's just more and more of the same. I mean, you can read all kinds of sightings and encounters which are very strange and and puzzling and intriguing, but it just doesn't go anywhere. And not too many people have, I think we do, those of us who are speaking here, otherwise it wouldn't be here, but, you know, a a tolerance over a long period of time for ambiguity. And, And saucers just don't offer anything beyond that. And it just isn't something that... Anybody but maybe some unusual people like us and Jim Mosley and other people who are listening to this show have. And, uh, you know, it's I worked for Fate magazine for many years, as you know, and Fate was able to offer a whole bunch of different things to people, UFOs, ghosts, ESP, archaeological mysteries, cryptozoology, all these things. So it was reaching as many different fringe audiences as there were. I assume also with Fate magazine, you'd vary your coverage depending on what was most popular. Exactly. So we were able to tap a number of audiences of people interested in fringe subjects. But a single focus like UFOs, as you guys well know, is financially iffy at best. I might be a hopeless romantic, and I'm going to imply that maybe Jim was in his own way. Today, of course, everything is industry, commercialization, I had the feeling that being a 
uh, a business success was not the main thing with Jim, because uh, we have to recall that he got excited about this when UFOs were big and fresh and new and exciting. Science fiction was literally science fiction. Nobody had been to the moon. There hadn't been a space shot. There were no satellites. And so this was wide open to speculation. It was extremely exciting. And to go back to this theme of um, a diversion that Jim got interested in, I have a feeling that, sure, I mean, he certainly wanted to break even, but I don't think he was in it to make a killing. He wanted, though, Bob, to see growth, not Fair contraction. Right. He Fair wanted right. to know that even if he isn't rolling in money, the business is growing, it's expanding, it's sustaining itself. So mm-hmm. once you see the contraction, interest in UFOs, wanes, circulation goes down, that was the big killer for him. Well, you knew him more from the business point of view, too. You were much closer to him in that respect. I just wanted to pick up on something that Jerry said, a thought that came to me. You know, he kept it going to the, toward, to the end. I, I subscribed. I was one of the <laughs> people who subscribed to Saucer Smear over the years, and we had correspondence. We talked on the phone, and I had the feeling from Jim that there was a little bit of nostalgia towards the end of it. Um, I think he somehow realized himself that, as, as Jerry just said, this whole thing will never resolve. Okay, never say never. Something could happen tomorrow. Very dramatic. We don't know. But this has been going on for so long, it's hard to believe that somehow the verdict is going to be pronounced. The jury is going to come back and say, we have a verdict and this is it. I think that Jim was doing it sort of a, out of a routine, a ritual. He just wanted to keep it going, maybe a slight element of reminiscence of better days. I think there may have been an element of that that kept Jim Mosley in ufology to the end. I think it was the world that he knew. He was comfortable in that world. That's it, Jerry, exactly what I mean. It was familiar territory. He was getting on in age, and things weren't looking too good. We've heard before, you know, financially things were going down a little bit. And, of course, when you're feeling down, you're depressed, um, you you turn to things that are familiar, might cheer you up. And he had to keep with his old typewriter. I'm sure that Jim would have been totally capable of mastering a, a simple computer, but it was this nostalgia, this the old days. He brought back the, the memories of this with his probably still the same old typewriter and the same old method and the same old thing. I, I don't know. I, I see a nostalgic side, a sensitive side to Jim Mosley, which maybe he didn't like to expose in public. In, in the, the last few years, I noticed he went back to the old and beloved UFO cases and hashed them over again, kind of like someone rereading a favorite book from your youth. And well, I think sir. you're absolutely right that, that was, there was a growing element of nostalgia. But also, I think part of the issue is a comfort level, comfort zone. He had his way of typing, and he had put out magazines that way, no longer with that absolute special justification, just typing his magazine for many, many years, and he did not want to have or learn a computer or even a more sophisticated typewriter. He didn't have an answering machine on his phone, didn't use a telephone company's answering machine service, didn't even have caller ID. No fax, nothing. That's right. He didn't want any of that. It was all the comfort level. Here's everything he's familiar with. He doesn't feel the need to learn anything new. As long as he had the same outlet to express his point of view, it was fine. Now, for example, you could get Saucer Smear online. You could buy an online version. But right. all Jim did was, in a sense, license the product, the publication, to somebody else to distribute. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I was just looking at the online version this morning. 
But one thing that strikes me, too, speaking of the Internet and UFOs and Jim, was that when he died, Gene, you would put this thing online on UFO updates, that Jim had died, and there were like only about two responses. One of them was mine. And I just wondered if, if the, the new generation of people interested in UFOs and active in the UFO scene, Jim is just sort of a fading or forgotten figure. I don't know about that, because even though the UFO Updates mailing list didn't have much response, I saw a lot of action on Twitter, especially on Facebook. We've got a lot of responses in our forums from people who remember Jim, a surprising number of people who actually had been very close to Jim over the years, talked to him almost constantly on the phone, had late-night conversations. In- including one of the Paracast's most uh, ardent skeptics. <laughs> Uh, uh, Lance Moody, who, uh, much to my surprise, he posted that he had been in constant contact with Jim for a number of years, uh, monthly, which um, he said 20 years. Uh, that that really surprised me. Well, I'm glad I had the sense that Jim actually had many friendships that had, that had endured and some of which were relatively recent. So I'm glad to hear that. I, it kind of bothered me. I thought there'd be more of a discussion on updates than there was. I think once you I think knew people Jim, might might still be processing it. Um, you know, Jim was such a such a um, he just had such a, a presence in the field. Uh, coming from someone that's uh, a little younger than you guys, I've only really been involved in this field uh, to the extent that I have uh, for the past twenty years. But but I remember you know early on uh, encountering his name in in various contexts about cases and. And 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 hearing you know people describing uh, Mosley and to me who you know now I'm considered kind of an old timer in the field after 20 years to me he had almost like a mythic kind of presence uh, and it was always that it, that irascible sort of as as someone pointed out earlier that 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 au contrarian kind of persona that I always really um, appreciated and. You know, as I said before, I think this field needs more of that uh, that challenging, awe contrarian type en- energy to keep things moving forward. To 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 you know, break up these static systems of belief that we're we're seeing well, just running roughshod over this whole uh, thing. Chris, I have to disagree with you there. I don't think there's any absence of conflict and disagreement and debate within the subject. There always has been, because ufology. This is just the, the, the phenomenon itself offers so many possibilities for interpretation. In fact, I eventually came to conclude that, that maybe there's more than one thing going on, and that's why there's so many arguments that go on, because people are focused on one thing and not another. Earlier in the show, we heard from Geneva Hagen. We heard from Alan Greenfield. We heard from Tim Beckley as we progress with this episode. We have... Bob Zanotti and Jerry Clark still with us to remember Jim Mosley and his impact on the UFO field with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, you've seen all those crazy, wacky products on TV. The perfect tortilla, easy covers, hot booties, furniture fix, petty spin, and more. Where do you find all that stuff? You go to asseenontv.com because this is the one-stop source for all of these TV goods advertised. Find all your favorites as seen on TV. Check them out, asseenontv.com. 
And by the way, save 10%. Here's what you do. Use the code SCENE1, S-E-E-N number one, SCENE1. Go to asseenontv.com to order. Save 10%. Purchase this summer's hottest As Seen on TV items. Save 10%. Or call 1-866-277-3366. 1-866-277-3366. The code SCENE1 to save 10%. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com or call one 877 fake tv Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-F-A-K-E-TV or go to faketv.com. Faketv.com, the burglar deterrent. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have Jerry Clark and Chris O'Brien 
I suppose having a little discussion, Chris. Yeah, I you know I totally agree with you, Jerry. Obviously, this field is filled with with viewpoints, some you know very divergent from one another. But what separated Mosley out, in my mind, from everybody else, it was always done with a twinkle in the eye and that kind of that elbow in the ribs type energy. People in this field are too darn serious, and Jim was was one of those few kind of wonderful lighter you know just niggling kind of get under your skin kind of characters in some sense you never really knew if he really believed what he was saying or if he was just taking that contrarian viewpoint that is what i'm describing that this field needs more of i certainly agree that jim is irascible was irascible i think that's a very good adjective i don't agree with the premise that jim was needed in the field because jim was highly intelligent without being intellectually oriented. There are plenty of intellectually oriented people in the field who, in my experience, have perfectly sound senses of humor, senses of the absurd, and who disagree about all kinds of things. I think that when you talk about Jim, it's it's hard to pinpoint, like, he did this to advance our understanding. I don't think that he really did that, and I don't think that was really his role. I think he just enjoyed being a character on the scene who liked to go with whatever interested him. And if it riled other people up, that was fine. But I don't think that Jim was like some kind of intellectual figure, somebody who was really pushing the ball forward. I think he was just the guy who got involved in this and put in what he wanted to put in and had a lot of fun with it. The point, I think, Jerry, is well taken because rarely did he get terribly emotional about the subject of UFOs or flying saucers, as we used to call them. He was very tolerant, to use that word again, I've used it before. Um, he, He was open. You could talk to him. He didn't get riled easily. You never knew... uh it was a bit inscrutable. You never know what he thought of you or what he was really thinking, but he was always a gentleman. That word has come up uh, too. And something, Jerry, you said in the last segment, I think is worth focusing on for a moment. Uh, You and Gene didn't agree 100% on it, but you were talking about, let's say, the passing parade of ufological personalities and characters. And uh, I I agree with you there. I think it's very much like in show business. You know, most of the kids today, (laughs) kids, I sounds pejorative, maybe it is. They know Brad Pitt and all the other modern stars. Brad Pitt's a kid, yes. What is he, 49 or something like that? Exactly. No, I mean the the younger generation of moviegoers. But you mentioned Rock Hudson or you mentioned Doris Day, and they look at you like you're from another planet. Uh, So I'm afraid that Jim is probably, we're all eventually going to go this way. It's, It's like pews in a church, you know. We start at the back and we keep moving up and moving up and moving up. And Jim was just in the last, the, the last pew, right in the front. He's gone. And we are probably in the next one or thereafter. Yeah, we will be forgotten. <laughs> and the next one will, will come along. So I think that maybe is also another reason why he was philosophical. I think he realized that this was not a this was a ephemeral thing. It was not going to last forever. He had his moment of glory. He enjoyed it. He had his moment in the sun uh, on the stage, and he knew it eventually was going to end. And I think towards the very end of his life, uh, as has been suggested here at the very beginning of the show, Geneva brought this up in that letter, which I thought was very touching. I sincerely believe that he was starting to get spiritual. 
you know, it, it, it can happen. Maybe it kicked in. And I think that's what happened. He was correlating everything that he had been exposed to for all of these many years and suddenly lying there, realizing he was on his way out. Maybe something snapped, something gelled. And there was a moment of enlightenment. He used that word in his letter or it was mentioned. I, I have a moment of enlightenment. So I think that would be a, a nice ending yes. to the life of uh, Jim Mosley. And I, I, I agree, Bob, and I, uh, Jerry, obviously I, I agree that, you know, in the final analysis, Jim Mosley is, you know, is an interesting footnote in the history of this field. What I was trying to bring out was the attitude. We really need more people that are more tricksterish, uh, I think, in the field. I, I think we need people that play both sides of the fence and, and do so with confidence, there's, there's too much of a seriousness, I think, that pervades the field. There's not enough playfulness. If I was going to bring out a point, that would be it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm more of a casual observer of the scene than you are. You guys are more directly involved. I'm an observer. And I've sensed this myself, Chris. It's true. It's so bloody deadly serious, everything that you hear. People, I'm afraid part of the seriousness is largely due to some people or many people taking themselves too seriously. Not only the subject, but it's become a bit egocentric. We had, of course, the, the weirdos back in the 50s who made wild claims. We all know those classic stories. Uh, but it was like a sideshow at a circus, and I think most people treated it that way. They told a good story, and people appreciated it. There was no television and not much. People enjoyed telling stories and everything. But today, it's it's all scientized. It's all so serious. And I'm sorry to say, it is so commercialized. It's become, I, I refer to it as the UFO industry. All of the offbeat, the uh, the paranormal, so much of it has become so commercialized and I think that the whole spark, the enthusiasm, um, the excitement that surrounded it years ago has gone. And we said this also in that show, Gene, you remember, uh, Chris, we did, uh, thank God we, we we talked about it, you and I, Gene. Right. And you said, you know, this would be a good idea back in May, and it's in the archives here on uh, on the Paracast. That would really be worthwhile because Jim was on that show He's appeared before and after as well. But I think so much of his memories, uh, he was so excited during that show. I remember it. I was so surprised how bright he was. And he enjoyed it. He enjoyed going back in the past, those glorious moments. And they'll simply never come again. It's like all of us say as we get older, things just ain't the way they used to be. And that's in many cases literally true. Well, in this particular case, one of the things you have here is someone who is willing to, number one, listen to consider a lot of different points of view, not to take people too seriously, you know, to be entertained by our imperfections. And that's the problem. With Jim gone, with Saucer Smear gone, and yes, he had some associate editors who may want to continue the publication, but it will never be the same. No, no, it, it will never be the same. It happens everywhere. When you lose the the eminence grise, the, the driving force, you know, as they used to say in the in the commercials, there are many imitators, but only the original will be the same. You know, it's, it's, it, there's no replacement for Jim. There never will be. He was a personality. We're personalities. Everyone in the field is a personality. And, you know, I, I just was rather uh, ready to, to, to pose the rhetorical question, 
quo vadis, you know, where are we going? Who's going to pick up where Jim left off? Well, Gene, Bob, Chris, you're doing it. Others on the show are doing it. But how long will this feu sacré continue to burn? Well, Bob, I think that you've got it exactly when you say that, that Jim was a personality, and that's how he will be remembered. And I don't think he has to be replaced. Let's just stop it there because we have to split to the next segment. Then we'll continue that discussion, Jerry. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database, so you get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We just had a terrible storm in the east, but we are all still in the eye of the perfect storm. We have the most devastating economic conditions since the Great Depression, America's worst drought in agricultural history, and what about the presidential election? This perfect storm is a huge threat to everyone's food supply. eFoods Direct is preparing for the shortages, and you had better do the same. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. You know that eFoods is the best tasting and safest food on the planet. We all need a bunch of storable and usable food from eFoods Direct. None of us wants to be standing in a breadline trading our freedom for food. Anyone who doesn't take control of their uncertain future has to be just a little bit nuts. Go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Starting Thursday, November 22nd at midnight through Monday, November 26th, you can save 25 to 30% on the Black Friday specials. Give the gift of food security. Would you rather prepare six months too early or one day too late? Go to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. In more ways than one, it's going to be a November to remember. Going on now and just in time for the holidays, Emergency Essentials offers a huge Mountain House sale only at BePrepared.com. All Mountain House cans are 20 to 32% off. For example, a can of Mountain House Chili Mac, regularly $25.49, is now only $17.24. Scrambled eggs with bacon, usually $31.89, now only $21.56. And save 26% on a three-day emergency kit. Or save $123 on a one-month supply of freeze-dried and dehydrated foods. Gift shoppers, check out the Catadine Vario Water Filter at 26% off or get special pricing on the Gerber suspension multi-tool and the Volcano Stove Collapsible Cooking Combo. For details, call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and Emergency Essentials low price guarantee. But hurry, the November to Remember sale ends November 30th. That's 800-999-1863. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or beprepared.com. Hi, my name is Annette, and due to menopause symptoms for nearly two years, I suffered severe hot flashes, which prevented me from sleeping all night. It was so hard to work because I continued all day to have the hot flashes from hell. I was 
exhausted and depleted. After only three weeks on One World Weight, I have no hot flashes and I'm sleeping normally again. I feel energized and strong. This is an amazing product. It is a little known fact that every single cell of your body is supposed to produce 10% of its protein content as glutathione. But due to toxicity and aging, it does not. Could glutathione be a missing factor in optimal cell function for your entire body? If you restore the optimal glutathione levels in your cells, especially your glands and organs, then as a result, your glands and organs work better. Imagine the quality of life improvement you might have. To order One World Way, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. Hi, my name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. We continue to look at the life and times of Jim Mosley with two of his friends still remaining with us. Earlier, we had Geneva Hagen, Tim Beckley, Alan Greenfield. Now we have Bob Zanotti and Jerry Clark. Jerry, you were about to start something, a discussion about Jim and his impact. Go ahead, please. Yes. Jim is irreplaceable, and I don't think that that means that he, we have to find somebody to replace him, because I don't think that what he was doing was that essential. It was interesting because it was Jim, and it was Jim's personality, and it was Jim's way of doing things, and that was all it had to be. It didn't have to have any larger significance. It was clearly what he was doing was interesting enough so that a lot of people paid attention to him. A lot of people wanted to be his friends, wanted to be around him. In that sense, he was successful. He was successful at being Jim Mosley, and that's all he needed to be. You're really hitting it, uh, Jerry. Uh, you and I are really on the same, the same frequency here because I remember in broadcasting, we, we've had many discussions, and uh, I used to do some lecturing at um, uh, college level about communications and, and broadcasting personalities was one subject that always came up. You've just made a very important point, not only for ufological personalities, but for everybody. In this world, you know, especially in broadcasting, you'll understand this and appreciate it, Gene. There are so many people who imitate, you know, they've got imitators and clones of other people. But in this life, in this world, no matter whether it's UFOs or broadcasting or cooking, there is only one person that each and every one of us can possibly be, and that is ourselves. And I think you've hit it there, Jerry. That is one of the magic secrets of Jim. Like Arthur Godfrey was once asked, you know, this, this personality probably nobody knows him anymore except people in our generation. Laid back, uh, he played the ukulele on CBS uh, television, radio. He was a, a real personality. A huge was, personality. A huge personality. Forgotten now, unfortunately. Another radio ham, too. And, yeah, and purple sheets. Yeah, and, and I even was, remember Arthur Godfrey. <laughs> well, he was once asked in an interview, Arthur, I think in those days you were more formal, Mr. Godfrey, to what do you attribute your enormous popularity? And he said, I'm myself. And that is what Jim did. You made a great point, Jerry. It just clicked when you said that. That's the point. Among all of these factors, that is one of the major points that Jim Mosley, and not only Jim, but all the other people who stand out and will be remembered in the history books of ufology and other paranormal or offbeat subjects, that's exactly the point. They were themselves, they were individual characters 
that were memorable. Okay, well, and that how about sets this? aside from so many of the people you hear today, you hear when you hear them all. Well, Bob, how many other people currently in the field have perpetrated hoaxes and then came forward and said, ha, got you, and then were taken seriously, you know, from then on out? I mean, Jim Mosley is a standalone character in that regard. Well, he and, and Gray Barker were great at it. In fact, um, I was listening to the story of this <clears throat> this man in black outside of Jack Robinson's apartment there, and the, the, the story came to me, an anecdote that uh, Augie, Augie Roberts, Augusty Roberts told me that uh, it was played on Augie. A lot of hoaxes were played on <laughs> poor old Augie. Anyway, basically, he and, and Gray Barker were in uh, Fort Lee at the apartment up there near the George Washington Bridge, and Augie was, was sitting there. And I'll, I'll give you the, the short version of it. Basically, Jim and Gray decided to bring in a strange figure. Now, Augie was sitting there watching television. It was all arranged. A strange figure dressed in black, note bene, came down and sat in the chair next to Augie. And Augie took sort of a double take, wondered what happened, looked around, and then it was arranged in such a way that this guy went in or went out a door and disappeared. Gray and, um, and Jim had this all arranged. Jim came in with a gun saying, what's going on here? I'm after, you know, and it only came out later that the whole thing had been staged. So these guys were great hoaxers, and I wonder how many of their great hoaxes went to the grave with them. I don't think we heard any uh, deathbed uh, <laughs> confessions about some of those, ho- all of those hoaxes anyway. Maybe some sort of, uh, you know, a little package of true confessions might uh, surface at some point in the near future. I've, you know, one can only wonder. I sometimes wonder about the origin of the West Virginia monster. And the one who was the first one on that story was Gray Barker. You mean Flatwoods? Flatwoods, yeah. Well, well there was an external event. It was not Gray Barker's hoax. Yeah, it was that an was external event that is very time. singular yeah. and does not resemble other events. So you don't we'll think go he could have been involved in any way? I don't think so. This was very early in Gray Barker's career. By the same token, when we talk about Albert Bender, the guy who said that he was visited by three men in black originally or ostensibly because he knew too much about flying saucers, then I think Gray Barker was very serious about what he wrote and then started to look with amusement on the subject. Yeah, I think that Gray started out seriously from all available evidence. In the early years, he did some actual field investigation. And then I think that it kind of all (laughs) fell apart in due course. But I think that the Flatwood thing really happened. And Bender did tell this story, however much Gray exaggerated it and exploited it. That was some precipitating event. But I think that, that... the hoaxes that I wonder about are the hoaxes that the, the phone hoaxes that John Keel describes in the Mothman Prophecies, where he's out on the road in West Virginia and Ohio investigating MIB and monsters and UFOs, and he's getting these strange phone calls. I just wonder if Barker and Mosley's voice prints aren't on those phone calls. I really don't think so, because I think that if... If Jim had done that, I think he would have told one of us. He would have told me, he would have told Beckley, he would have told somebody of his acquaintance. He didn't hide things about his life. Once he began to admit everything, once he decided to let it all hang out, there was no secret of that sort. And you have to look back at John Keel, and you wonder if John Keel maybe didn't embellish a bit. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, is that possible? Uh, uh, yes, that seems reasonable, yes. 
Jane, can I throw a question to you? Uh, the word uh, Wanakue, that Wanakue Reservoir flat back in the uh, the mid-60s in my neck of the woods in North Jersey. Uh, Augie Roberts and I uh, investigated that, but apparently you and Jim uh, beat us to it. You have to clarify that because you didn't really go into detail what happened. Well, it was a very cold night. I remember it was very cold. And several of us who work with Jim at Saucer News went out there to look things over and maybe talk to a few people. I don't think we necessarily learn anything new or special from that visit. But the key thing about it is that it was cold. That's all I remember. Today, all I remember is the fact that I was freezing. We were atop this reservoir. It was very cold. I didn't take a jacket that was warm enough. I was shivering. I was saying, I've had enough of this. Let's get back to the car. That's exactly what Augie Roberts and I went through. It was bitter cold. We were going through a real uh, cold snap there. I think the temperatures were in the teens or even less, and it was really... But I think at that time when we went, we had uh, even the cooperation of the uh, of the local police. They brought a, a patrol car with a, a radar on it. I don't know how they were going to look for flying saucers with a radar, but it was an interesting story, and I was not totally unaware that you and uh, and uh, Jim had been there. That's That's a new one. Well, I don't think it was a very significant event. It was just like, you know, kind of a joke. Jim says, hey, let's go out there and let's investigate UFOs. Isn't that funny? Isn't that fun? Ha ha. This was when he was taking it even less seriously than he might have taken the studies of UFOs later on. I don't think he fancied himself as a UFO researcher. He Maybe he did early on. Early on when he was involved in the first iteration of Saucer News, before really getting into the fake feuds with Gray Barker. He had taken a trip around the country to interview personalities involved in UFO research. He spent a lot of his own time, his own money, doing that. And you could say, well, he was just a rich kid who had nothing better to do, so why not chase after flying saucers? That was true, but he definitely had a serious interest in the subject. He took very detailed notes of that, and some of which you probably see in the book, shockingly close to the truth. We have Jerry Clark, Bob Zanotti. Earlier, we had Geneva Hagen and Tim Beckley and Alan Greenfield with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are. The GCN Radio Network. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery, freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at PolarisMail.com, PolarisMail.com. 
When natural disasters strike and the water supply is shut off, you won't panic because you have a CWR emergency water filter. CWR Environmental has been supplying emergency water filters worldwide for over 25 years. The difference? CWR emergency water filters are portable, easy to set up, and exceptional at removing bacteria, parasites, sediment, and many harmful contaminants, including chlorine and harmful microorganisms. Plus, they are NSF certified to assure performance. CWR emergency water filters can produce thousands of gallons of safe drinking water from any water source and come with a five-year warranty and money-back guarantee. For a limited time, the filters are specially priced with free shipping. Call now. 800-444-3563. That's 800-444-3563. Or go to CWRSurvival.com. That's CWRSurvival.com. CWR emergency water filters. Drinking water you can trust for when you need it most. CWRSurvival.com. That's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home. Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your fake TV for only $34.95, go to faketv.com or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to faketv.com. Faketv.com, the burglar deterrent. I had tried everything. I'd cut back the amount of food I was eating. I was lifting weights and jogging, but nothing was working. My body was literally starving for minerals and trace elements as well as key vitamins. And as soon as I had that, I immediately could eat half of what I was eating previously and be satisfied. Now, there are hundreds of great products at InfoWarsTeam.com, but I want to point out the three that have helped me lose 37 pounds in just two months. Products like Beyond Tangy Tangerine, Pollen Burst, and Rebound. When I started taking the Tangy Tangerine and other products every day, I lost more than 37 pounds in just two months. Now that's results. I want to challenge my listeners to go to InfoWarsTeam.com and to order just three of their products. And you will see the changes in the way you look, feel, and in your appetite almost immediately. Start your journey to health and wellness today. InfoWarsTeam.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned in to the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We observe the life and times of Jim Mosley, the court jester of ufology. In fact, I think for many years he quoted John Keel as saying, you are a boil on the uh, you-know-what of <laughs> ufology. I think Jim was a lot more fun than John Keel, though. Oh, John Keel used to write me these wacky, wacky letters, though. (laughs) Really funny, wacky letters in those days. Nothing you take seriously, just for his amusement, I guess. It was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, I don't have him. You know, I have to be careful. This is a a gray area that maybe is better left unsaid, but it has been said. It's on the record before. We all know it. Jim enjoyed... 
a good drink, sometimes more than one. I think he spent a lot of the day uh, with a glass in his hand, and I don't want to give the wrong impression. He was always coherent and very reasonable. He never got violent or anything. But, you know, just speculating about this, I wonder to what extent his fascination with ufology and some of the zany things he did might not have been promoted to some extent by the grape or the grain? <laughs> or it may be that he was just bored a lot of the time. And that was well, I think, I think the two go hand in hand, really. <laughs> I, I think that's just it. I mean, how do you fill a day? Today, you can get on a chat room, you can be on the internet, you can you know, do all kinds of stuff. But in those days, you really had to be, uh, you had to improvise. And uh, I think he did a great job. He had a lot of money on his hands at the one time. He had a lot of money and he had a lot of time. And it was uh, a wonderful German expression for it, Zeitvertreibung. It was just killing time. The other thing uh, that probably got him going in all of this is that he wanted to be in the, where the action was. And the action in the early days of ufology was right there. I mean, you know, you, you, uh, it was exciting. Uh, all kinds of speculation. It was not scientific or pseudoscientific the way it is today. It was open. People were allowed to speak their minds and um, have, have uh, exercised their imagination and fantasies. And it was very exciting for an intelligent uh, guy like, uh, like Jim. It was very creative. It exercised his mind. Uh, he could have some notoriety. I think the, there are all kinds of reasons why he was in it. And I would say that um, that pretty well would sum up at least a superficial view in those early days, there was this great sense of wonder about everything. You know, over time, it gave way to frustration, boredom, and, and the realization that this wasn't going to have a resolution, at least in the lifetimes of any of us. And by that time, that didn't deter Jim, because it, by that time, that was his world. He didn't know any other world. And to some extent, that's true of all of us who've stuck around all this time. But it was a lot more fun in those days, and I think you can say that without being sentimental or nostalgic. It really was fun. It was wide open, and Jim was in the thick of it, and that's one reason we're still talking about it. Well, I think a lot of us would not be talking about it if it wasn't for people like Jim to keep the subject alive. And as I said earlier in the show, when I asked Jim about the hoaxes and the fake feuds, he said, I wanted to keep the saucers alive because interest was waning and it kept moving in cycles, and when the cycle kind of goes to the low end of things, well, the only way to keep the interest up is to get some activity going. If you yeah, had to generate the activity, gin it up. Of course, yeah. you sometimes wonder if some of the cable TV networks, the news networks, don't do that. When well, the news they, is kind I don't of, know about the news networks, but the, these crappy cable TV pseudo-documentaries are filling that function now dubiously. Oh, I think some people could say that some of the controversies that come up at certain cable news networks also are designed to gin things up, just get ratings. Oh, I was thinking specific about UFOs, though. Sure. But yes, certainly that's true as a general proposition. Absolutely. And Jim Mosley was the guy who kept it running. And after Jim has passed from the scene, which he now has, you have to wonder, where does the field go and how much we owe our continuing interest in it to someone like him? Well, I suppose someone should keep the sacred fire burning and um, in, in due respect and homage to those early pioneers. And I would certainly would not hesitate to call uh, Jim uh, a flying saucer, a ufological pioneer. 
He was certainly in the thick and thin of it when it was a, a great um, developing, breaking story. He was there. He's, he's, he's endured the decades. And I think he deserves his place in the ufological hall of fame, like so many others, including uh, other members, deceased members now of that so-called New York circle, the Dominic Lucchesi's and the Jack Robinson's and um, the Augie Roberts. And I, I think we should keep them alive because it, it, it's like the old story. You know, why do we study history or why do we keep history? Well, it, it must be recorded. And um, these personalities made their contribution and somewhere along the line, the subject will become interesting again. It will be taken up again by others, maybe with a different take, a different view, a different philosophy. And they need to go back and find out how what people were saying about this in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. And I think um, that in, by itself and in homage to these personalities. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving it along because we have about three and a half minutes left. You know, Jerry, as the historian... Looking at the subject the way it is now and the way it was then, do you think part of the problem today in the UFO field is that we haven't looked to the past? It's like we keep starting the same thing over and over again with the same theories, the same ideas. That's a, an excellent point, and it's very frustrating because young guys come up with hot new ideas, and we old guys say, look, we already been through that one. It didn't go anywhere. And then you get the doubts for being a geezer, as someone called me on unfriendly blog recently. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's very frustrating. And, it, and that, that happens because there's just a lack of discernible progress. And, of course, there's very little historical memory. And um, it's very, it, it gets very frustrating. It's just like this endless recycling. And, uh, and there's progress, but it's really incremental. You know, you just raised something here, which is what is the historical memory of the UFO field? And Jim Mosley was very much that because he lived through all of right. it. Right, right, exactly. And not having Jim around, well, hopefully we'll find a way to get some of his publications online. As some of you know, there are a couple of sites already have arisen to recognize James Mosley. As a matter of fact, I found jimmosley.com. Nobody ever took that name, that domain. So I got jimmosley.com. I'm hoping to get material from different people, get a little help with the web design, so we can put together a collection of, shall we say, the selected works of Jim Mosley. Now, one of the things Jim had said not long before he died is that there are still some 1,500 unsold copies of the book he wrote with Carl Flock called Shockingly Close to the Truth, Confessions of a Grave Robbing Ufologist. Don't ask me how I remember that title. I mentioned briefly in it, and my ego will mention that, but the thing is here, we have that book, which is an interesting record of the UFO field. They only sold a few thousand. I guess if you go to Amazon and get a copy, you'll still be able to get one. Of course, the royalties aren't going to go anywhere at this point, maybe to Jim's daughter. But the point is here, this is an interesting work to know about the subculture, not just about your favorite UFO sightings, not the 10,000th version of what Roswell is, about Kenneth Arnold, about the UFOs over Washington in 1952, about all around the nation, the contacts, the abductions, all about that, but about the people who came and went in the UFO field. And a lot of that is contained in shockingly close to the truth. So that's Jim Mosley's lingering work that you can still buy. And maybe there's a hope we'll get some of his final material 
over at jimmosley.com or some other site. Sounds like you have a project, Gene. I'm maybe giving myself a job. No, I don't really know if I want to do that. I'd rather have volunteers help me with this task. It's not something I want to do with myself. Jerry Clark, you had that book reprinted in a new edition called? Unexplained, the third edition. It's considerably expanded from the second edition, so it's like practically a new book. You're keeping on. Bob Zanotti, of course, is maintaining a huge historical record of the 60s. We'll get some more of his audio in the near future. Chris O'Brien has OurStrangePlanet.com, and I have this. You can find more of us on theparacast.com on Twitter, we're known as the Paracast. Special thank you to Geneva Hagen and Alan Greenfield and Tim Beckley, who were with us earlier. To Bob Zanotti, Jerry Clark, thanks for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thanks for making this program possible, Gene. It's a, a precious document. Yeah, thanks, Gene. This has been fun. Just fun to talk about, Jim. Yeah, this is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.